Hello, and welcome to the Sisterhood Downloads. I am your host, Jacqueline Byrne. And I'm Juliet Thompson, and we are so excited to have you join us as we explore how women can truly thrive with reflection, connection, and community. I am a clinical psychotherapist. And I'm a psychologist and coach, and we are both mothers of young children, as well as being entrepreneurs. We are thrilled you've joined us here at the Sisterhood Downloads. Hello, and welcome back to the Sisterhood Downloads. I'm very excited to have Jackie here with me online today. Uh, She has forgotten her microphone, dear listeners, so she's going to have a little bit less clear audio uh, today, but I don't think it's really going to be a problem. What do you think, Jacqueline? I think we'll we'll fare it the best we can. I'm so sorry, (laughs) listeners. Um, Bear with us, but I'll be back clear and crisp next time, I promise. Awesome. So this time today, we are going to be talking about female friendships and what some of the challenges are, some of the opportunities. And I'm really keen and interested today to dive into this world and hear more of what some of Jacqueline's curiosities and questions are for this for this topic. Jacqueline, what's been on your mind with female friendships? I think it's such a it's such a big topic that comes up in the women that I support. It's been really relevant in my life experience and the fact that we are friends in our holding of this space, I think is also going to be really interesting to unpack how our friendship has been for us and talk through the implications of what all the nuances of friendship can be in women's lives. We know that social connection and friendship is hugely impactful in people's overall well-being and from a mental health perspective, a very protective factor. And yet it's something that can cause as much rupture and as much hurt as a romantic breakup or or being let down in, in that domain of seeking connection but socially, I think we have so much less, such less of a template for how to do friendships, say, compared to a romantic relationship where there's a, a somewhat dominant discourse on the agreement of what our expectations would be when we start yeah. dating someone, what stages, milestones and progressions we expect to catalyze conversation around those points to reflect back um, maybe with our friends on how a romantic relationship is going to have community support in light of that. And yet friendships in this kind of loose, gray, free flow area, and even the word itself can be so differently applied as a friend, someone we just literally know that we might introduce as our friend, but there isn't a lot of emotional connection or intimacy behind that. Or are they a, a deeply important person in our life and what expectations come with that? Absolutely. I could not agree more strongly with what you said. It's interesting, you know, it's very common in our society to go to a relationship uh, counsellor for romantic relationship support, but it's not really heard of to go to a, a therapist for female friendship issues, yet they are, as you say, 
fundamental in our lives and can cause so much heartache at times. I just had a little Google because I remember seeing in the news just a headline about female friendships, a, a recent study indicating that they are fundamental for our well-being and life expectancy of women particularly. I didn't read the article, but I just had a little Google and uh yeah, it is it is littered across the internet the power of female friendships and their importance in our well-being. And it also got me wondering, I love thinking about from a um evolutionary perspective and a biopsychosocial perspective. And without drawing two clear lines in understanding female friendship, so what I mean by that is without bringing it all down to biology because it's so much more than that, I wonder if huddling around a campfire at the dawn of mankind and women really being the biological nurturers of children, the the holding a child in pregnancy, delivering a child, right, and then that very stereotypical idea that, that may indeed be true of foraging and food preparation whilst men with literally biologically bigger muscles and more adrenaline, more, you know, hormones that go and make them fight. I wonder if that's contributed to this drive and need for female friendships what do you think do you think that's too a limited a view or I think that's so intelligent that's an incredible insight and I love the idea that it's in our DNA to to bond it's a joke um I know many households that for if the male partner was to catch up with someone and come back and the female partner inquires, like, well, what did you talk about? How does the catch-up go? Um, like, how's their marriage going? How's he feeling about his parent situation? How's their parenting? Um, like, I don't know, we talked about golf or we talked about politics or something, whereas women can spend five minutes with each other and have covered so much ground so efficiently that whether it's um, hormonally prompted, the way that we're socially raised, all of the above, but we we do tend to bond differently and support and nurture each other differently. Though with that, I think can come the underbelly of more disappointment and pain and, and fragmentation because it can mean so much that when it's disappointing and it's outcome or confusing, even it can be so, it can be so disruptive. And I wanted to focus particularly on female friendship. We were interested in female friendship just to explain to viewers that, there's a particular, because of these social, biological complexities, particular nuances that are privy to that dynamic that may not be as transferable to male-female friendships, male-male friendships, other other types of arrangements of friendships because maybe those social um, ideologies don't contain those dynamics as much. Right, right. And I want to also be clear that we are talking broadly and generally when we say female friendships. That's not to say that um, someone who's born a male um, or identifies as a male or born a male identifies as a female. It's not to say that people cannot experience female friendships in the way that we're talking about. It's absolutely possible and and happens we're talking 
broadly and and generally. We're not talking in absolute terms because it's just incorrect. There's a whole spectrum of the ways that people relate to each other. I was going to say, you know, I've heard it said that women are wired for connection. And I think the essence of that is true, but it is so wrong to say, well, you know, if you're not born a woman, then you cannot connect adequately with others. It's just not true. And we're not saying that. I hope that clears anything up. Yeah, just to completely reinforce that and um, and the, I think really what we're trying to capture with that word is more metaphorical of the female conditioning and the female social role that um, would be true for how some men have have experienced cultural messaging and grown up or um, maybe wired, that are, you know, biologically exactly. even. There will be some men who are wired that yeah. are in similar ways to perhaps women. And also that hormonal profiling can be very different. Different hormones show up in different, um, differently gendered bodies, but also the um, many women don't find it easy to connect or bond or share. Absolutely. And, and, and again, um, people bond now may so. So yes, that, that it's very much um, a disclaimer and a, an acknowledgement of the limitations of some of these words that our, um, our language situates us with yes yes and we'd like feedback on that if you're if you want to provide comment on that or your experience with that uh definitely would would like to hear that because we do it's a value of ours to be inclusive and not to um, be absolute in our discussions and leave people feeling that they're not included or they're not seen that is the last thing that we would want because this this sisterhood is about inclusion and uh, feeling connected. So if you are connected into the messages that we're sharing, that is awesome. You know, that is what we want to hear. It's so important to us, yeah. So I guess that goes to that question, Jacqueline, of, you know, why are we talking about this? Why is this important? And it really comes down to this idea of it is fundamental in the way that our biology and culture uh, have impacted us and shows up for us and just on a day-to-day mood level. It can contribute significantly to whether we're in a good place in life or not. Just to have that knowledge of things happening in your day and in your world to be able to share that with someone, to know someone cares, to know you can reach out to people if you need it and that you are also needed and you can contribute back and offer care and nurturing to others fundamentally changes our well-being but also our identity. And we, we see we get to know ourselves as we're fed back from the community around us and I think women can hold that in such a beautiful way for each other. And it takes the pressure off of the romantic relationships too, that if mm. there is that idea, the fantasy of someone being your world or your one and only, your everything, it is such a high bar for one person to be able to respond to that solid friendships. Virtually impossible. It is impossible, yes. And friendships in your world mean that different needs can be met with with a variety of relationships that you have and can be protective of other significant relationships like maybe a, a romantic partnership. Beautiful point. I highly agree. You can't make your romantic relationship the only well from which you drink, right? It's it, You've got to get nourishment from multiple sources, not just from, from one. 
Right. So that brings us to um, this idea of being curious with how do female friendships develop? How What does that process look like? And I imagine when we reflect that it's quite different for different friendships. What's your experience, Jacqueline, been of how your friendships have developed? Yes, I am someone that shares quite easily and loves connecting to people and is very curious about other people and I love caring for people. And that has made made it quite easy for me to find potential friendships but also meant that they can develop quite rapidly, which in hindsight I've realised over more life experience can have an underbelly to it because the bonding for me is quite easeful that there is an emotional investment maybe before as much discernment has come into play of the rightness of fit and and just fundamental compatibility points to, to friendship, which then sometimes have felt have like collected friendships that I didn't necessarily consciously participate in. And that can be a a stressor or I think now when I consider opening into new friendships I really check on my capacity energetically because I wouldn't I wouldn't seek to date someone if I didn't have time in my life to make for that person or I couldn't show up and care for them in the way that I'd want to and build the relationship for it to be a positive experience for us both I should bring the same amount of consideration to a new friendship but again the the beginnings are more subtle we don't really indicate exactly where that friendship might go or if this is just a pleasant acquaintanceship that is building but it is definitely been a big learning point for me and that makes me think about attachment styles how those of us more anxiously attached do tend to seek out reassurance and build things more quickly because we feel safer when that is established those of us that are more avoidant kind of play it cool a little bit longer and um it takes longer to build yes that is my my dear friend Juliet and we're an interesting I think that's been interesting in the development of our friendship um do you want to speak to that at all or reflect on on what I've yeah. said so far when you were talking Jacqueline I had these deep realizations that uh attachment does so heavily uh influence the way you show up in friendships and just to, be, to get clear on what we mean by attachment is that the way that we um, learn to feel safe and connected with primary caregivers in early childhood and as we go through childhood, the way that that pans out, the signals that we get, the environment and then goes on to influence how we relate to people as adults. And it's something that I think is very under uh, appreciated. It's not really people are not aware that is radically influential in the way we do relationships as adults. And yes, you have called me out on the podcast. Thank you, Jacqueline. I am avoidant. <laughs> I'm a slow burner. Uh, I it takes me a lot longer to um, feel that I can trust and. Uh, feel that I can be fully myself with with friends. So consequently, I do really well with people who are more quick to attach like yourself because there's that warmth and security and 
they allow me to feel safe more quickly, basically. Whereas I don't go well at all with people with similar styles to myself because we remain quite distant uh, and it takes a lot longer. I also notice for myself, I do, uh, my friendships are those that have come from workplace or leisure activities where we've bonded over the environment. Uh, so that, they're my mo- they're my deepest relationships, actually, my most nourishing because I feel that uh, the person, my friend, has gotten to know me in a really rich way and not in a surface level way. I think that um, when you have to deal with stress and pressure and you're both uh, dealing with maybe the same enemy, so to speak, whether that enemy be the workload or the, you know, the workplace environment or, you know, I was a competitive rower for many years and the enemy was losing (laughs) and, you know, trying to win was the common goal. That is where I find the deepest bonds. I mean, with rowing, it was probably trauma bonds, but uh, yeah, so very much through what you've shared, Jacqueline, is that realisation of attachment and how it, it does influence and if you if you're listening right now and you're feeling confused about your early attachment it's okay because it's actually a little bit of a complicated uh reflection and it's one that's probably if you're finding it overwhelming or confusing to understand how you are attached it's one to talk through with a therapist or someone that um does know about attachment because it can be sneaky and counterintuitive. I don't know if you found that in your work, Jacqueline, Mm. people might say, oh, I had a great attachment. You know, my parents love me. It's all great. But when we get down on the details, there's some subtleties that have influenced the way that they attach. Yes. And not just um, doing a quiz online that tells you which attachment style you have. It it is complicated and it's not always as simple as what has met the eye. But I'm so appreciative of what you've shared, Juliet, is I think that will be really relatable for a lot of our listeners that maybe feel more of um, your or my flavor in the way that they organize relationship and I think it's been it has been the magic um, between you and I in our origins because two avoidant people together there might not have been the building of intimacy but also two people like me that were ready to like be best friends by day three tends to burn out and it sort of runs out of fuel or it's it sort of builds too quickly to have the emotional scaffolding underneath it to hold it in good stead longer term. And we worked together. We met in a workplace and that container, I think, held us with consistency so that we we got to know each other in a really rich, comprehensive way in so many different situations and be challenged together and have uh, aligned goals and what we were trying to create together that the friendship building amongst that was a very secure base. And then the trust develops from that. There's a deepening of trust. And that that's really when something sends us, you can sort of feel, again, I think comparable to a romantic relationship where you know you're tipping over into something that's going to be longer term and that this person's very important in your world and intimacy increases with that. You just close more, become more vulnerable, and that allows for more bonding amazing reflection there and I and I love how you've really brought it down into attachment style can you think of another way of two friends interacting so you've got the anxious and avoidant what might a secure 
attachment look like in friendships? I I can't tell you. I've never met one. That's just a fantasy. I think the no one as secure. No, no, it's actually secure. (laughs) I mean, we could do we could do a whole episode on attachment styles if viewers would find it interesting. If listeners would would value that, but the a summary would be that we are we are all some of all of the attachment styles and including secure for any of us that are able to show up in the world in a functional way at this point in time because we might that also might ebb and flow there might be times we're functional and times we're less functional but if in this moment um you're functional in terms of having relationships that get your needs met and are able to uh, work within a workplace environment in a way that's cohesive etc then you already by default have a higher ratio of secure attachment than anything else which is the the definition of what is enabling us to be functional and then the other styles come in so when we say we're avoidant or um anxiously attached where we're using a bit of shorthand in that yes. because there is um there is enough secure attachment that if Juliet was to say something that I thought that I found maybe hurtful in this moment, I am able to remember the entirety of our relationship. I'm able to remember the the bank of trust and what I know about her with easeful enough reference that it doesn't take me into complete reaction and fear, um, which wouldn't happen if um, anxious attachment was the dominant style or avoidant attachment was the dominant style. So I guess by looking at attachment style, we've really considered some of the barriers that can happen with forming friendships and maybe even maintaining friendships. What do you see as really common modern barriers or challenges to female friendship at the moment? That is, I love that question. And I think it's important to talk about this because it's the compatibility piece. So we can be we can work from an attachment perspective, we can work because of shared values and interests, but then actually being able to enact on the opportunity to develop friendship is another challenge. I think this can happen very specifically seasonally in life, like having young children, having a high workload, being in a marriage or having a partnership. It can be very hard to have the time for um friendships that you genuinely do care about and I know that's also something that I really value about our connection there's enough trust there that I that I know you know if I can't get back to you quickly or vice versa it's so okay and there's a well of understanding of the circumstances and the the priorities of um responsibilities that we each have in our plates that it isn't personalized but in a developing relationship that could be more challenging if we're trying to build a relationship, build a friendship, and there are there are delays in responsiveness or there's the inability to actually organise a catch-up, be at the catch-up. Um, it can become very difficult. I think that can be a huge barrier to building new friends, especially, I say, later in life, like post-school, uni, um, or when you move out of workplaces where there's a there's a pool of prospective applicants for, for friendship in your world and 
when you're maybe moving into a season of life where you're working at home or working for yourself or you're in an organisation that doesn't have people of a group that you would most easily make friends with, then it can be very difficult Mm. to treasure the opportunities that do come up. And what comes to mind when you say that is the 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 balanced approach of the fact that yes, it is practically impossible for me to catch up with friends as much as I want to and probably need to. And there needs to be understanding in my friendships about that. And there is. On the flip side, I would say that if you're not making any time for friendships, there's a self-denial there in mm what your your needs really might be. You're not prioritizing your own needs. So it may actually take sacrifice from other areas of your life to cultivate a friendship. And I think it's worth it. It's necessary. It's maybe sometimes we think about friendships as they are only possible when it really, really works or when it's really easy. But I guess my mind frame sometimes is I need to prioritize this and work out how to make it happen at the expense of other things. And that's important as well in friendships lasting because it's easy to let friendships go and to diminish. And sometimes there's a time for that. Uh, Sometimes it's important to understand that there's a time and there's a season for some friendships and it can be unhealthy to hold on to a friendship that doesn't meet your needs or the other person's needs just for nostalgic reasons. But at the same time, it's like growing anything. It needs nourishment. And I think that's what works about our friendship is that particularly yourself, you have a lot of commitments and a lot of demands, but yet you you carve out time at the expense of other things. And you you have every reason not to, but you do anyway. Um, and the same the same goes for me as well. So I think that's important. I hope that's that that's clear of that balance that it does take energy and sacrifice and time, but it's worth it and it's important. It's a really amazing point. What came to mind when you were saying that is how we often encourage others to make time for their marriage or fight for something of a um, like our society celebrates that type of arrangement so much more so than a friendship if someone um passes away we don't immediately go to well who's their best friend like how how are they feeling like how are they going to show up in this time we look at that the spouse role whereas the that person's best friend might have actually been a lot closer to their soul or known a lot more about them um or at least also very very deeply in in their life so there's that that sort of acknowledgement of, oh, well, you should have a date night or you should make time for your partner. That's important because that's that um, heteronormative ideal. But when we when we think about really what makes us thrive and what empowers us and supports us, it's often it's often other women, it's often community and and what what we find in friendship. It's incredibly important and to to understand it like that to be able to justify maybe to yourself and amongst a a busy demanding schedule that it is an essential Uh, I really appreciate what you said about self-denial too because I think that does happen as part of that martyrdom schema that women can adopt and is imposed on them that 
your needs have to be foregone so friends go as well as other things whereas that's where that's where the life force is that's where juice is coming from Mm. life force I love that term the other barrier that I see happen sometimes is I don't want to make this too complex but self-esteem and self-identity self-concept so it comes down to this basic idea that other people can have different opinions and feelings and even judgments and that is okay that is their framework their world and it doesn't mean that you have to let that impact your self-identity so what I mean on the surface level with this is that someone a friend can feel that they're upset about something that you've said or they can make a quick judgment on your life And it's really difficult when we're in a place of low self-esteem or not clear identity because then that then goes on to impact our understanding of ourselves. But when we can understand that other people have their own stuff going on and that their judgments and opinions are much, much, much more to do with their own worlds than us, it allows space for a friend to express their truth, express their feelings, and for you to accept that without necessarily saying, I agree, to say, oh, I I accept that you felt like that. I accept that you think that X, Y, and Z, uh, and, and you can continue to think that, and I'm not going to let it impact my understanding of myself. Now, this is a really complex idea, and I've just scraped the surface. Does that make sense, Jacqueline, or have I confused everybody? I think that's brilliant. Yes, that, uh, it does take, well, it's that secure attachment, isn't it? That self-concept um, mm. could be understood as the secure attachment piece that enables enough internal stability to wear the storms of any interaction and and comments that could be misinterpreted or behaviours that could be misinterpreted or just like meeting a friend when they're having a bad day or they're tired and that feedback coming in, which we could otherwise spiral into personalizing and it could, it could potentially destroy the whole friendship. Um, we can weather that because there's enough trust in the other, but ultimately trust in ourselves. Yes. Because I see this happen most often where, where a person will say, uh, you know, she was really rude to me and I'm really upset. So I'm not going to be friends with her again. You know, I'm not going to seek out because she's hurt me. And this could be coming over and making a comment about the messy house that's not necessarily like totally rude, like, oh, gosh, what happened here? Did a bomb hit it, <laughs> right? If you're sensitive about if you think, oh, gosh, I have to keep my house clean, otherwise I'm a bad person, that is going to hit you and you're going to feel judged by that person. And that brings us to I think the greater purpose, the deepest purpose of friendship is ultimately our own continued self-growth. And if we see relationships as offering that potential, then maybe what our friend says that just kind of jarred us or why why didn't she use that word? Rather than going down that slippery dip, we have the option of bringing it back into, well, how am I doing with me and how am I holding her in that space of flux that maybe is, you know, her tired day or maybe something in my life does trigger her or there is something there that isn't for me to own or it has triggered something in me that is my work to do with me rather than bringing it into the friendship or even making a call and thinking we're doing boundary work, making a call saying, 
you need to respect me by not saying this or something that maybe a more confrontational personality would go to. But actually, sometimes it doesn't even need to be spoken with a friend because it's between us and us. And the fact we've been triggered is for us to resolve within ourselves, which is how we grow. And that's where the friendships offer growth. And if it wasn't for those conflicts or just humps that we come across they they could not be growth they could not be prompts for insight and developing a wider threshold for what we can understand within ourselves and others beautiful I I I often say friendships and connections are a hall of mirrors you know what is showing up in you is is from the other person and then that's being reflected. You're seeing that reflected. And that goes on into in, in infinity about, you know, my stuff triggering your stuff that triggers my stuff that triggers your stuff, right? And so often that process is an opportunity to understand what it is that's causing pain and conflict within yourself and then go and heal that. And there's a myth, I think, that is, propagated in uh, media as in film and television narratives around the female friendship being a certain style of friendship and to be light and you know sex in the city style and I actually never watched that so I wouldn't know what that really is but I get the the gist right Um, and that's that is not the messy reality of friendship so often I mean maybe there are friendships like that that you have but there's also lots of different types of friendships. And the idea of post-traumatic growth is a big one. You know, I often say with relationships that it is only through the conflict and the tension that you can deepen intimacy and trust. And I don't know why it's coming up for me, but I go back to my rowing years and the friendships that I developed there. You know, we we showed up at you know, got up at 4.30, shut up at 5, and we were tired and cranky, rude to the people in the boat. and and But it was understood in, in the context. And through that, a great sense of intimacy and trust developed. I'm not, I'm not telling people to be rude to each other, but I'm just talking about, you know, when you're under stress, it, it's about growth. And that's what friendships and female friendships have to offer. If we can give up, acknowledge and give up, this ideal of what friendship should be. Do you think we've got time to quickly touch on how to let go of friendships and when you know a friendship is complete? Yeah, sure. That's a tricky one. Do we need a part two? (laughs) No, I think we can. I mean, my reflection of that is that uh, it, it, it is a wait, watch and see. It's not like, oh, I haven't seen this person for a month or we don't do anything together anymore, right? They're gone. I like to persist with friendships. I I in for the long term often. Uh, and if I'm walking away consistently from a friendship interaction where I'm feeling that I'm not seen, heard, or that I don't resonate with that person, then it's time to let go. And for me, I don't need to do that in a I don't need to send them texts. Dear so-and-so, just to let you know, I'm ending our friendship. It doesn't need to happen that way. Often it can just fizzle out and that can be sad. That can be upsetting and that is okay. It's okay for it to be sad as long as the bigger emotion is the feeling that it's right. 
I really agree. And I just think it's important to acknowledge in part of this conversation that part of friendship is is that it's okay to let it go and to say goodbye to it because I also think with that media messaging on friendship, particularly female friendship, that it's it should always go on and then that that friendship collecting thing can happen where there's friends from school and uni and different workplaces and different places you've lived and you can't attend to all those relationships in a meaningful way that might compromise the potential of a few of them. Being able to recognise that sometimes people grow apart from each other and it doesn't serve you anymore or it doesn't bring richness to your life and there might be times where a conversation is healthy and often think it can be a gentle, just it almost happens organically that you're just more drawn into other types of your other parts of your life and there's less energy put from both parties into the friendship. But sometimes people are at different places and one wants it to continue and one wants to pull away and that it might be kinder to acknowledge it or have a conversation in a situation like that, which if listeners would find it helpful to get our thoughts on a how-to guide with that, I think that could be um, a useful conversation. But I just wanted to place a mark on the map that 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 is also okay, that not every friendship has to go forever or is better because it's lasted longer. That's right. There's a season, season for all things often. And sometimes you can have a friendship that fizzles and then re-alights, re-alights, is that a word? I don't know that ignites again. So I think that that is a nice, rich conversation about friendship uh, where we've, I hope, given permission for ourselves and listeners to allow friendship to evolve in natural, organic ways without the pressure for it to look a certain way, to understand that the way that we feel about ourselves and attach to people around us do impact. So n- not to necessarily think of ourselves as a, you know bad at friendships or good at friendships. It's actually the more going on there. And that's a lovely final thought is that it's it's all about growth. It's less of a skill set you have or don't have and more about just where what there is to learn and where you're at within that and and getting support and um, embracing that as as how it's meant to be that's the point fabulous well until next time bye everyone